I know that life and business will be better when more people are a little bit more personal and human in their digital outreach, whether it's just for internal communication with their team members, whether it's with their prospects and their customers, whether it's with their suppliers, vendors, other people in their business ecosystem, whether it's with other stakeholders in their success, whether that's community leaders, government officials, whoever, that we're going to be better when we put our face and our spirit and our voice behind our messages, when we breathe messages of gratitude and appreciation into real life. And it's not exclusively an intellectual exercise where we peck it into a keyboard. Like this is going to be better. And so any movement toward that is positive in my mind. And it's just an absolute privilege to be tasked with that on a daily basis. Welcome to the Simple Brand Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you create simple experiences for your customers and for your team members. Each week, we're bringing you amazing interviews with business leaders and authors who will teach you how to differentiate your business with the one thing your customers need the most, simplicity. Your customers live in a complex world. Let's make it simple. Now, here's your host, Matt Lyles. Oh man, digital pollution, unwelcome digital distractions, they're all around us. Digital noise and digital pollution reduce our ability to connect and communicate with the people who matter most. And what's at risk? Our revenue, but most importantly, our relationships. Okay, I'm going to say a few statements, and if this sounds like you, just raise your hand. Unless you're driving. Both hands on the wheel, please. If you've ever sent an email, a Slack message, or LinkedIn message, and it's been misread, misunderstood, or ignored, raise your hand. If you've ever hosted a video call or a meeting, and you felt like you were talking to yourself because there was just so little interactivity, engagement, discussion, or feedback, raise your hand. If you've ever pitched, presented, or trained virtually, and you knew it didn't succeed in creating a strong connection or a lasting impact with your audience, raise your hand. Okay, I'm assuming you raised your hand at least once, maybe twice, maybe all three times. The point here is that we've got a problem with how we're communicating to our clients, to our customers, and to our team members today. And we have a problem with how we're being communicated to. And there has to be a way to solve this. Thankfully, there is. And that's why I'm so happy to talk with Ethan Butte this week. This was a super fun conversation. Ethan and I are so in sync on our views around customer experience and on how we should be serving our customers, serving our leadership, serving our team members, and serving each other. Ethan's the chief evangelist officer of BombBomb, where they help companies simplify their messaging and communication efforts to customers through a simple, human-centered video experience. Ethan's the host of the Customer Experience Podcast, and he's a TEDx speaker. And he's the co-author of Human-Centered Communication, a business case against digital pollution. Hey, the book is out this week. In Human-Centered Communication, Ethan teaches us how to get past all that digital pollution, 
all that digital clutter and all the digital distractions to build and manage relationships that truly matter. And he helps us understand how our communications can break through all that clutter and brand out from the crowd. So here it is. Here's my interview with Ethan Butte. Hey, Ethan, how's it going? Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Matt. I'm doing awesome and I'm pleased to be here. Yeah, well, I'm glad that you're here. I love the work that you're doing. I keep seeing more people talking about Bomb Bomb, and I've even recommended it to a couple of other people who are specifically in some sales roles as ways for them to stand out. And I'm, you know, experimenting with it myself. So I'm really enjoying it. Awesome. I'm really happy to hear that. And then beyond Bomb Bomb, you've actually got your podcast and you'd focus on the customer experience. And in your podcast, I think you've asked guests how they define customer experience, but I'd like to hear it from you. Tell me how you define customer experience. Thank you for that question. It's fun. I, you know, I ask everyone off the top of it. And I think I've done maybe 160 episodes and most of those have been with guests. And I ask everyone that same question. They're, they're typically marketers, salespeople and or customer service, customer success professionals, some founders and some other disciplines, some branding experts such as yourself. It's been fun to ask that same thing to a variety of people. And so my answer is really a distillation of all of the things that I've heard. Obviously, the mechanical side of it is all the touch points, however you want to describe that. The automated touch points, the tech touch points, the mechanical touch points, the physical touch points, the human touch points. But I think the essence of customer experience and frankly, employee experience is in how we make people feel. It's in the emotional resonance. And there are a lot of dynamics at play there. Some of that is based in great expectation setting and management. Some of it is really focusing on the moments that matter where we're most likely to leave a strong emotional impression. But in general, when I talk about customer experience, I talk about emotional resonance and how we make people feel. How do we make them feel about themselves? How do we make them feel about us as individuals? How do they, how do we make people feel about us as a brand? How do we make people feel about us as a product or a service in a very practical sense? How do we make people feel about the problem or opportunity that we help them with? All of these things kind of play in because feelings, of course, are the foundation for thoughts and ultimately for words and behaviors. And so while we look at the words and behaviors as the outcome of it, I think it's important to walk it all the way back and to recognize that these are humans forming emotional impressions that provide the foundation for their thoughts and their words and their actions. Yes, absolutely. I love how you focus on the word feel and feelings because what does the customer feel as they go through that experience or even the sum total of the experience? Because you talked about how there's some moments that matter, like those are some of those big key moments. I think there should be a focus on that. I also think that there's a focus on finding out where the biggest pain points, the biggest pieces of friction are, and make sure that those can be alleviated as well. And then that creates the entirety of that feeling. Absolutely. I mean, to the specifically to points of friction, I mean, that's where people feel frustrated or confused and these types of things. It's where, you know, they're on the path to whatever you promised them in your marketing material or in the sales call or whatever else. And anywhere that there is friction, slowdown, lack of progress, confusion, frustration, 
What are people calling your support lines for? What are people complaining about when they reply back to their salesperson, even though the deal was closed, you know, 30 days ago, like all of these things, there's so many ways to approach this. And I don't think that we need to over-engineer or over-architect it. I think we just need to be honest with ourselves, talk with customers more, be a little bit more diligent about gathering you know, the various types of feedback that we have. And we all have a lot of different sources of feedback in our businesses. And, and again, just kind of stack up those moments that seem to be uh, important to customers where either for better or for worse and figure out how to enhance what's good and fix what's bad. There you go. Now... If we think about our leadership a lot of times, like like all the way up to the C-suite, how can we convince our leadership to focus more on how customers feel? Well, I think it shows up in the numbers. I mean, you have to work with the people that are in front of you. You have to work with the constraints and the privileges that you have in front of you. I think ultimately this is a revenue conversation. And I'm pretty sure that most leaders, even the most ardent, hardcore numbers-oriented ones are excited to have a conversation about revenue because this is it, right? Like the, and maybe you don't use, like if you know the personalities in the room, you and I both know, and I would assume that most of your listeners would recognize and acknowledge that immeasurables make a very, very measurable difference in our business. But some people just can't go there with us. Trust, wisdom, you know, relationship, you know, expectation setting and management, the feelings that that produces, some of these things are just immeasurable. And so we have to settle for proxies. But I think, you know, if we do want to try to add some measurement to them, but I think between qualitative feedback and quantitative feedback, there's a case to be made that the people that are your most profitable customers because they come back again and again, or they they renew their subscriptions and maybe expand their accounts, they, you know, greater share of wallet, all these different things that we want out of long-term customer relationships. I think we can map some of that qualitative and quantitative feedback that says positive feelings equal more referrals, more retention, more expansion, more revenue. And I don't think those links are especially difficult to make. And so, you know, play to the room, speak their language and know that it all ties together. And I think even again, the most ardent, hardcore person, and by hardcore, I just mean very rational, very numbers oriented, would acknowledge that there are things that can't be measured that are driving business results, but you may not want to start there. Absolutely. And I think that it helps if you're able to supplement that usually with some level of storytelling, whether it is some of that qualitative feedback or customer verbatims, like this is what I experienced. And when this happened, I was really frustrated. Just showing things like that, showing the real people and how they're affected by that experience. I always love when someone structures a presentation that way. You know, it's a very hard quantitative presentation at its core, you know, making a point or leading us to a conclusion or provoking a discussion, but that, you know, the numbers are turned into trends, not just, you know, points, moments in time, and they're supported by real language by real people to help illustrate the points and to bring the trend and to bring the numbers to life a little bit. I love that recommendation. Awesome. Yeah. Because otherwise, if they don't see that, then it may be a long time until maybe they get that verbatim, they get that a real story, whether it's them going through the experience themselves or whether it's their neighbor at a barbecue saying, yeah, you know what? I used your company, but I got to tell you, you know, I didn't really like it. And then they come back and say, hey, uh, I just talked to my buddy at a barbecue and now we got to fix this. 
That's what we've been talking about for years, but yeah, we'll go ahead and fix it now. Yeah. And just a, a really practical point for folks who are listening. They're like, yeah, that sounds interesting. Just a couple practical things. We use Chorus at BombBomb, but folks might use Gong or another tool. Like as, as your salespeople and your service people are having calls with customers, typically these types of services are recording them and you can do searches through the, you know, the automatic transcriptions. There are verbatims everywhere, especially if you're in good relationship with those folks and they can point you to really interesting conversations that they've had. I think more people should be listening to and watching customer conversations if they're not conducting them themselves. And then we have two different NPS surveys that we're running out of two different systems, but we feed both of them into one common Slack channel that anyone in the company can see. I read it every single day for better and for worse. And the thing I'm always looking for verbatims because again, just to, and then we can move on to a new topic, but you know, this divide between the number or the moment in time, or even the trend versus the words people are using. We all know in something like an NPS survey that an eight is not an eight. There's an eight that could have, should have, would have been a 10. And there's an eight that really, if we got kind of like read, read the feedback on it, the verbatim, it really sounds a lot more like a five and they're just a very generous person or an easier judge, um, right. but they're very dissatisfied. And so I think really getting into those and then grabbing those and using those for other purposes can be really, really useful. That's it. It's taking that time to be able to listen to or read what real customers, what real people are actually saying. So earlier you mentioned something and I want to go back to it. You talked about the customer experience, but you also talked about behaviors and outcomes. So talk to me more about that. What's the relationship between customer experience and behaviors and outcomes? Um, you know, they're all really intertwined, but when we think about the way the human mind operates, you know, it starts with feeling, intuition, that type of a thing. We push it to rational thought sometimes, but we tend to avoid that just to conserve energy as human beings, as like organic living creatures. We like to conserve our energy. And so the greater share of our decisions are made subconsciously and emotionally. And there's also, a connection between emotion and motivation. And we can get more into the details on this, but I'm thinking of uh, multiple conversations I've had with my friend, Dan Hill, who is a PhD, author of multiple books, holds seven US patents in the analysis of facial coding data and an emotional intelligence expert. And those are impressive credentials and hard earned and absolutely he's worthy of all of them, of course. But to dumb down a lot of his teaching, it's you know, without emotion, there is no action. And so this idea that we can reason our way to changing people's behavior, much less changing their mind is a fool's errand. And so we need to think, this is why feeling is so important and why we need to think about the way something sounds and the way something looks and the way something feels, not just exactly what it says or exactly what it looks like, because there's a gap between those things. And so basically Feelings are the foundation. By the way, emotions are also related to memory. Things that are emotionally charged, positive or negative, right. tend to be much more memorable. And of course, this becomes the raw material for intuitive decision making. You know, subconscious, it's not irrational, it's outside rationality, decision making, which is again the vast majority of decision making. So feelings sometimes provoke thought, 
but feelings often inform decisions, which are fundamentally actions. You know, at some level, we're making decisions whether to act or not, or how to act, or are we going to go down route A, B, or C? And even when the rational mind gets involved in that decision making, the emotional resonance is informing how we feel about the different options. Yeah, definitely. And to put that into a familiar experience, or at least a familiar experience for me, a few years ago, my family and I went to Disney World. And you look at it at the whole, and yeah, it's a fantastic experience. But rationally, how much of our time was spent standing, waiting in line? Probably the majority of our time, I would venture to say, was just standing in line. And rationally, people would say, well, I would not choose to have a vacation like that. But the emotions that we felt during the rides, during some of the biggest experiences, that's what drove our memories around, yeah, we totally want to go back now. Absolutely. And and then just to stay on your, you know, if you break it down rationally, I mean, just think about the cost as well and the logistics. It's not easy to do. There are tons and tons of people. Even if you hit the, you know, the downgraded resort or hotel options, it's still not cheap. And, you know, you walk all that out. And now let's put it in the context of commercial relationships with our customers. People will go out of their way. People will spend more than you might think they could, should, would. These decisions are not even any product or service decision. It's not just people might go, well, let's set this on the side. It's Disney, it's family, it's vacation, it's childhood, it's memories, it's stories, it's the family photo that's going to go on the holiday card this season. Right. You know, That's the same thing we're doing with all of our other products and experiences. We're buying on hope, we're buying on expectation, we're buying on the promise of capitalizing on an opportunity or overcoming a problem. We are developing the anticipation of memories in our heads. Like I'm going to be a freaking hero at work this year because I made this decision or I implemented this, or I brought this to someone important inside our company. I made the introduction or whatever the case may be. So these things are not different from one another, even though, you know, on the surface level, they can look very different. We want to feel good about ourselves. We want to feel good about other people. We do want positive experiences. We want memories. We're willing to pay a little bit more for this. We're willing to go a little bit out of our way for it, especially if you're a known quantity. Something like Disney, I don't know where they stand in terms of like brand familiarity on earth, but I would assume that they're in the top 1%. And so it's easy to have these expectations built for you. Most people know a family that's been to Disney or several families that have been to Disney. And they all would probably say the same thing you would like, yeah, it was expensive. Yeah, it was hot. Yeah, it was crowded, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. And certainly my kids wouldn't either. Exactly. And that speaks to the fact that a lot of times people will still talk about the difference with B2C versus B2B. And What I try to help people understand is that it doesn't matter. B2C, B2B, B2G, whatever else, you need to focus on the experience that you're providing to the customer, to the individual people that you're interacting with. Yep. What does it feel like to be your customer? How easy do you make it to say yes to the next? You know, the one difference between B2C and B2B in a lot of cases is that there might be a lot more yeses required to get the ultimate yes in B2B. 
and that's not true in all cases, but you know, let's just say a, you know, a $75,000 software commitment in a B2B environment versus a, you know, a new $600 television or $1,800 television or something like that. Right. Um, so there are differences, but it doesn't hold true in all cases, but you know, in a B2B environment, you need more yeses along the way. Sometimes you need to elevate the yeses to another level inside the structure of the organization, which takes more time and patience and need to rely on your champion and all these other things that happen along the way. But ultimately, the path to all of the yeses and the ultimate yes involve how we make people feel. Do we make them feel confident? Do we make them feel safe? Do we make them feel smart? Do we make them feel attractive? Whatever our product or service is designed to do, we need to find ways to enhance that because you know, affirming their expectations, setting and affirming their expectation of how they're going to feel and what is going to result. It's a trail of yeses. Yeah, absolutely. And if you think about that longer path, that longer trail of yeses, and you do all those things that focus on how you make that person feel at each of those yeses, it also raises their anticipation to the next yes. Okay, if this is what the experience is at this step, then I'm really looking forward to the next step. I'm just kind of dreading the whole darn thing. Yeah, very good. And when you're not sure, don't be afraid to ask. I mean, the question isn't how do you feel right now, but you can ask questions like that. These kind of open-ended, not like a yes or no, but like, are you going to take the next step? It's how are you feeling right now? Are you feeling pretty confident about this? Do you feel like this? the picture is clear to you? Do you feel like the path is clear? Do you like these kind of more open-ended, conversational, feeling-oriented questions that are appropriate for the situation? Absolutely. And then if they will be open enough to provide you with that feedback, then you can do something with that feedback to hopefully move that experience along or to hopefully tailor the next steps and experience based on that feedback they give. Yeah, very good. And just to tie it back to an earlier point in our conversation, if it is especially interesting or challenging, or it's the third time you've heard it in as many days or weeks, make a note of it, keep a record and say, you know, in these types of moments, when we have these types of conversations, this is the range of type of responses we're getting from this type of customer. This is the range of responses we're getting from that type of customer, where this is something I've heard four times on my last six calls, that type of thing. And then that would allow you to be more proactive on addressing those responses or being able to tailor that experience up front to help alleviate or minimize some of those responses. Absolutely. And this is the very basic structure of customer experience management. Yeah. Well, as it relates to customer experience management, I've heard you talk about personal experience versus personalized experience. What's the difference between those two? Love this topic. Love this question. I love the lengths you went to be familiar with some of the things that are important to me. It's really like as a guest, <laughs> I feel, I feel honored by that, by that level of attention and engagement. I really appreciate it. You know, I think because the tech is powerful and inexpensive and getting more powerful and less expensive and it's getting into more hands, people used to say like marketers ruin everything. And I don't know <laughs> that that's completely true or completely untrue. It's somewhere in between, but you know, they can ruin everything. Correct. Yeah. And now sales is equipped to do the same thing with some of their powerful tech. And, you know, just, there's this rush to be personalized. And generally I put personalized in the category of 
some range of variable data at the dumbest level. It's just simple plug and play like, hey, um, I noticed that you've been at X company in Y role, right? Just like dumb plug and play, you know, and the machines do that outright. Other, you know, at at the higher end of personalization, you know, whether it's a LinkedIn request or a cold email or a follow-up or something, there are a lot of services that do gifting. And so people are looking for a favorite sports team or a hobby or an activity, and they'll kind of pepper things with that. And that's getting a little bit more personal for sure. But to the degree that it's being executed with a, you know, go get the name of a professional sports team or go get the name of the university they attended or go get the name of their hometown and type it in here when it's time to send this email in this cadence or sequence or process, you know, that's personalized at a basic level. Not another good layer of personalized because we can't be personal all the time. And we'll get to that tension in a minute. But another good use of personalized is very, very tightly segmented. So, you know, as you're trying to communicate with people in your database, speaking very generically or in your CRM system or whatever, this variable is true. This variable is not true. This number is between these ranges and the geographic territories within this, you know, set of states or countries or zip codes or counties or whatever the case may be. Like, let's see, pick five or six pieces of data. These three are true. These three are false or between this range or whatever. You get the point. Then I'm going to craft a message for that type of prospect or that type of customer. And so it's got this personalized layer. It's like, hey, you're getting this because you know, this is true and this is true, but this isn't true. I'd love to talk to you about that, or I'd love for you to attend a webinar about that, or I'd love for you to, you know, watch this video about that or whatever the case may be. And so that becomes personalized to things we know about the types of people that fit these three, four, five, six, seven criteria, industry, role, title, account size, company size, revenue size, all these different things. And that's good. And it's better than, you know, what was standard even a decade ago, which was mass everything. Dump the same message on everyone, period, which is just, it's lazy, it's ineffective, it's become less effective, and the tools have gotten better and easier so we can do the types of things that I'm describing. And that's nice. But there's something different about getting an email or getting a video message or another type of outreach that is truly personal. It feels different. We know that it's different. It's like, oh, this is different. Oh, he's speaking to me personally. Oh, he didn't just pick two pieces of information off my LinkedIn profile or two pieces of information off my company website. Like, this is a truly personal touch. And this goes back to the moments that matter conversation. This goes back to how we make people feel, which is why I love that you weave this in at this point, is that there are moments where it makes a big difference for someone to feel seen, heard, understood, and appreciated. And when we're truly personal and we take the time to do it, even though it's not scalable, and frankly, because it is unscalable, That's what gives it its meaning and value. That's why someone receives this type of outreach as a gift of your time and your attention. And this is the kind of experience that's remarkable, even in the, especially maybe in the face of all this technology where people are getting closer and closer to making something personalized seem like it's personal. Humans are still adept enough and these digital channels are still emotionally impoverished enough that we know the difference when something is truly personal. So my challenge around this is just, you know, not only do we have to find 
um, the, the proper, you know, another way to have this conversation is tech touch versus human touch. Like where can we get by on a well-informed tech touch and where should we really employ a human touch? And my challenge for folks who are listening who are like, yeah, okay, this makes sense. This is interesting. Challenge yourself to do some of the unscalable things until you really feel the pain around it. I think a lot of us, because again, mm. the tools and tech are, are abundant and powerful and inexpensive. You know, there's there's a tendency to say, oh, we can't scale that. Let's just point the machine at it and and turn it on and let, like, let it go. You know, we don't know the ramifications of it. We can say, congratulations, we moved this number from 2.4% to 3%. Hooray, it's a 25% lift, six tenths yeah. of a percent on a 2.4% and high five. But we don't know about that 97%. How many of those people are now unreachable to us? How many of those people had a negative experience because it felt like it, it pretended to be something that it wasn't? It pretended to be personal, but it was just kind of clumsily personalized. I get this all the time on my LinkedIn profile because you know I'm in a couple of communities, right? And so it's become a little bit in vogue to say, hey, community member, you should do, you know, declare yourself as a position on your LinkedIn profile as a member of this community. And I've obliged. And so I'll get outreach saying, Hey, I love the work that you're doing in the community. Like I'm just a member of that thing. Like, you know, the, the people that created that and ran it and built it and grew the community would have a lot to say about the assumption that, you know, I'm responsible for it. So anyway, that's just a bit of a monologue that you triggered there. I think it's really important. I think the unscalable gets a bad rap. And I think those of us on the receiving end know how much different and better it is when someone goes a little bit out of their way and does something a little bit unexpected and a lot bit personal. And yet, you know, we're very often resistant to to suggest to ourselves that we can afford to make other people feel the same way. Um, and And I think we should just challenge that assumption and carve out a little bit of time and do some unscalable work every day. You've said the term unscalable often, and I really appreciate how you focused on that because a lot of times I'll talk to people and their focus is around efficiency. I need to be as efficient as possible. I need to have my processes simplified as much as possible. And in order to do that, I need to automate it as much as possible. And there we go. I've hit efficiency and that's all well and good. You may be efficient, but is your message effective? You have focused so much on efficiency around your process for crafting your message, crafting your formula for, and I'm using air quotes, personalizing your message, but your message is no longer effective because of the focus on efficiency. Yeah, I really appreciate that you used efficiency versus effectiveness. And and I'm not suggesting that efficiency is bad. It's just about being honest and restoring the balance. It's funny, after I wrote this book, Human-Centered Communication, along with my longtime friend and team member and co-author on our previous book, Rehumanize Your Business, we wrote this book called Human-Centered Communication. And essentially what we're calling for in it is a restoration of balance. You know, I think any of us who are honest with ourselves and honest about what's going on around us, there's a lot more to the book than this, but we have tended a bit too much toward that efficiency route and have lost sight of, despite the fact that CX is more important than ever. And by that, I mean, it's it's a much more popular conversation than before. And I think there's a lot more emphasis on it. I think there's a lot more acknowledgement that 
People need outcomes above all. Outcomes are part of the experience. And the better and easier and more fun or more interesting or more educational or whatever our product or service experience is designed to do, the more it is that way, you know, the better the retention, the better the word of mouth, all these things. And so in light of that, think about how we improve the experience and efficiency. We may be able to high-five each other and it may allow us to settle for a 2.4%, just to go back to my made-up number. You know, we can afford a 2.4% conversion rate because we've made the process so efficient, you know, that the 97.6% failure rate doesn't matter in that scenario. There's enough of a margin there. We've reduced our costs enough. You know, this is fine. Another challenge in the book is, and we take this on a couple of different ways and, and a couple, two times with specific numbers associated with them, that business model is not necessarily going to hold up in the future. And that's because, you know, the more we automate, the more we're relying on digital, virtual, online experiences, the more we're relying on automated, scaled, increasingly personalized and for the better touches But these spaces, digital, virtual, and online spaces are noisier and more polluted than ever. Noise, the way I use the term, doesn't have a charge one way or another. It's pure volume alone. Pollution, on the other hand, has a very negative charge. Some of it is innocent enough. You know, it's like when someone does reply all and it's like, nobody needed your response. The the original email didn't ask for your response, but now everyone is going to follow in line. And instead of just, you know, getting one email and replying to that person, And now I have like 12 or 14 replies in my inbox. Like it's not harmful, but it's kind of just a drag. You know, it takes time and attention. It's a little bit frustrating. If they catch us in a good mood, it's funny, you know, or that group text message, that group LinkedIn message or whatever. On the far other end, some of this pollution is truly dangerous. Phishing, malware, ransomware, denial of service attacks, et cetera, like truly halting, freezing, stealing, sneaking taking data, selling data, et cetera. Like some of it is truly harmful, dangerous, and ill-intended from the get-go. And then a lot of our conversation here, Matt, uh, around efficiency versus effectiveness is in this big fat middle section of pollution, which is consequential. Our goal isn't to pollute the environment. Our goal isn't to get over on someone or to steal from someone as it is with the horrible intentional pollution, but we're kind of pushing the boundaries, you know, like we're acting a little bit more selfish or a little bit faster or a little bit less thoughtful. We're not thinking so much about what's in it for the other person. We're approaching the messaging and the design of the experience, the message sequence, or whatever the case may be, whatever we're designing for this digital virtual online space. And you know, with the goal of creating or delivering value, there's something about the way that we're approaching it where it's more about what do I need to say to get someone to do this thing, right? As opposed to What's in it for the other person? How can I, and this goes to the simple playbook, by the way, how simple can we make it for someone to understand why we're reaching out, what's in it for them and how to proceed, right? And and taking their mindset, you know, which goes with empathizing with customers, the E in simple, how can we empathize from the get-go and minimize barriers, reduce friction, lose the jargon, make it really easy for people to understand what's in it for them. And when we start approaching things this way, as the noise and pollution rises, it becomes more difficult and more expensive to get attention. Attention is not the goal. Attention is just a necessary precursor to the goal, which is somewhere at the intersection of trust, engagement, reputation, and revenue. 
ultimately long-term relationship. Like that's where we need to get. We need to get through the attention door in order to even entertain any of these other higher level relationship elements and outcomes. And so if we're not thinking about the effectiveness today and we're solely focused on efficiency, we have to recognize that the numbers don't hold. So when your investors or your owner or whoever yourself, you know, whoever you answer to says, you know what, we need to increase revenue by 40% and we need to do it, you know, with this kind of a margin, you can't just increase whatever type of funnel activities you have by 40% and expect the whole rest of the chain to hold. It just doesn't right. work that way because attention is so difficult and expensive to get. So I know that was a really long way around, but I like the line that you drew. All we're trying to do is, is create this conversation about what really works, what is really in service of other people. Now that more and more models are subscription-based or quasi-subscription, I mean, instead of a renewing or expanding charge every month or year, it's in the form of repeat or referral type of business. This is what we all want in our businesses. We don't want to acquire new customers over and over again. We want to grow with and through the customers that we already have in addition to bringing on new customers. The path to that is, is really about creating recurring impact, creating outcomes for people. And we need to recognize that revenue is a consequence of creating that impact and creating that impact over and over and over again. And if we don't think about that, then we're myopic. We are an attention-oriented model and the numbers aren't going to hold over time because people are getting too wise. They're getting too discriminating. We're being trained that service can be faster, easier, better. It can make us feel better than ever before. This whole goes back to your call about B2B versus B2C. Our expectations are not different when we take a step out of our office or change our hat to dad hat or brother hat or friend hat from you know VP sales hat or VP customer success hat. The lines are all blurry and messy. I think the pandemic accelerated the blurriness and messiness. And so when we're honest with ourselves, we need to think about how we make people feel. And that starts with the design of our messages and experiences from the get-go. It needs to be in their interest, not our own. That's it right there. It needs to be in their interest and not our own. Did you know that in addition to my podcast and my articles, I speak to audiences all over to help them simplify their customer experience and simplify their employee experience? I've spent the last few years leading a crusade of simplicity across the globe. If you want a winning brand, you have to provide a simple experience to your customers and to your team members. Whether it's a live event or a virtual event, I'd love to partner with you and teach your audience how to do just that. With over a decade in marketing, I know how to hook and captivate an audience. And as a speaker, I know how to connect with that audience. Along with my lessons, I use stories and humor to keep everyone engaged and inspired. Then they leave with the knowledge and next steps to transform their business. As an event planner, you're managing lots of details to give your audience the most memorable event. The last thing you need is a speaker who will make your event memorable for all the wrong reasons. Not only will I leave your audience energized and inspired, I'll make it easy for your team to work with me. Hey, if I've built my brand around simplicity, then you know I'm going to make it simple for you. When you visit mattliles.com speaking, 
You'll find everything you need to know, including details on my topics, promotional materials, and most importantly, a link to connect with my team so we can book your event. So visit mattliles.com speaking. I can't wait to help your audience brand out from the crowd. A lot of times it's just human nature to focus on our own interests. But if we focus on others' interests, on others' wants, on others' needs, if we follow what I like to refer to as the platinum rule, do unto others as they would like have done to them. I, th- I think that's it. Yeah. Um, if, if you focus on that, then you will have that success. You will get that value from the experience that you're providing them. So yeah, I, I love how you put that. It's being able to focus on others, not ourselves. Great call. I love that you called out the platinum rule. We do have a couple of discussions in the book on golden rule and platinum rule. And uh, we're definitely of the same mind on that. There you go. Love it. Now, you talked about digital pollution. So I'm curious, how are people managing the digital pollution that they receive today? It's really fun. We've been having internal discussions here. This is going to be kind of a medium-sized story, but you know that by talking with me for this length of time already. You know, at at Bomba, the way we arrived at this language of human-centered communication is that we've known for years that what we do isn't a video email or video message service. I mean, it's an easy way to describe it, but we know from our own use of it and our great relationships with customers who many of whom have been with us for the decade that I've been here full time and they've sent thousands of videos through the platform video is just the means to an end it's just the medium it's a container for our messages what this is really about is putting our best and our most full virtual version of ourselves forward obviously in person is best but communicating more with our whole selves for clarity, for relationship, for benefit. And again, the theme throughout the conversation here is to make other people feel a particular way in a way that plain, faceless, typed out text can't. And so that's how we arrived at the language. And the obvious enemy of this is digital pollution. I think digital pollution is something that hasn't really had a name. I think if we start talking and walking through examples and they're really easy to come by, everyone will say, oh, heck yeah, right? This could be just this shallow, horrible, contentious conversations on Facebook. It's hitting the unsubscribe button for what seems like the third or fourth time, but the company just keeps sending them. It's bad variable data. It's like, it's all this stuff, countless examples in all the digital channels that we rely on. Now it's of course, um, spam texting, spam phone calls, all this stuff. And so what this is doing to us, let's just pretend whoever's listening is completely on the up and up. They're highly empathetic. They're all about their customer. They put their customers first at every turn. They're doing sincere, valuable communication and messaging. They're not sending too many and they're not sending too few. It's always value-based. Whatever high-minded, perfect ideal is in your mind, let's just pretend someone's operating that way. You are still suffering the consequences of digital pollution. That's to say, because there is so much noise and pollution in the environment, We no longer get the benefit of the doubt like we used to. Trust is even harder to earn and more fragile 
digitally, virtually, and online than it was even a decade ago. Like your inbox used to be a, a safe place, you know, and up until a year or two ago, your text messaging was still a safe place, <laughs> oh you know, and, and now like none of it feels like there's no refuge. And so to answer your question, you know, I've been going team by team, department by department, and now I have a small team of us that are doing that internally here at Bomb, we're about 150 people having these conversations about human-centered communication, what it is, what it isn't, examples, and digital pollution, what it is, what it isn't, examples. And you get just fantastic stories. They're really fun and, and interesting and sometimes sad conversations to have. And one of my big takeaways after my first go around the entire company team by team is that we've become blind to it. We're so late to this conversation about digital pollution that we're all desensitized to it. None of us thinks twice about swipe, delete, swipe, delete, swipe, delete, right? We don't sometimes don't even take, go to the trouble of hitting the spam button or going to the yeah. unsubscribe because that's going to take us to a landing page where we have to click and manage our subscriptions. We have to scroll and try to find the unsubscribe all button. And then it's going to say, thank you. And then two weeks later, we're still going to get emails from them. Like we're so, we're so deep in that we've adapted subconscious behavior to manage the flow. I think none of us is appropriately or sufficiently aware of the energy, frustration, confusion, the most extreme examples when our mind gets turned on to high alert and it kicks it to the rational mind, it's, is this link safe to click? Is this from the source that it says it's from? Is that actually a form that I should click and download as an attachment or is that malware? Like there's so many of these borderline instances and frankly, the bad guys are so adept now at coming across approximately legit. These are sometimes very precarious situations. So I was talking with our finance team, accounts payable and accounts receivable. And sometimes they're getting things that say, you know, click here and we'll set you up as a preferred vendor for these particular benefits. And then when you hover over the link, it's to a, a domain that isn't for the company that's represented in the from name, you know, or the wow. email address isn't from that company. It's like, there's all this stuff going on. And so even if we're on the up and up, we have to know that the people who even need and want to hear from us are sometimes going to struggle to hear from us. And sometimes they're going to be not in the right mindset. Sometimes they're not necessarily even going to trust our brand name. Perhaps if it's been muddied before, if someone has yeah. spoofed us, we all know friends who have had their entire account spoofed, all this stuff. And so the more conscious, the more intentional, the more straightforward, the more we can infuse our true identity, the more we can verify and validate our identity, our intent, our tone, our motivation. People care about our intent more than they care about anything else. And that's to say they want to know that we're coming with their best interests in mind. Well, so how can people, how can individuals, how can companies show that? Uh, when they're communicating to somebody and so that they can break through that noise and break through that pollution. One is simply to be conscious and intentional. And this takes, you know, this is habit formation. Let's review our automated stuff and see how that comes across. Let's look at the language that we're using. Take a couple letters out of your simple framework. You know, let's prune some of it back. Let's lose the jargon. Let's be more direct. Let's be more helpful. And just getting on it. So that's one layer. Another layer, and video is not required, but video solves a number of these problems. One, you are who you say you are, and you can make it obvious even in the little, like we do a little animated preview in front of every video automatically generated for you. So if you're using that to, you know, show someone's 
website or to write their name on a whiteboard or to hold up their business card or to hold up a book that they wrote or whatever the case may be. There are ways to like create this, oh, this is for me and about me before they even play the video. But when they play the video, it's you with honesty, sincerity, enthusiasm, gratitude, concern if that's what's appropriate, maybe lighting a fire under someone if that's appropriate. <laughs> you know, like yeah. like it comes across. And so this like your tone, your intent, your clarity, your, you know, all the things that you are honest and sincere about are what people need and want to judge. And when we send in channels that don't allow us to communicate those things, then we leave them to wonder. This is why virtual relationships are so fragile. This is why digital and virtual trust is so hard to build and so fast to break is that it's devoid of some of this rich human I hate to use the word, but I will, data, right? Information that people are reading off of us, that we're expressing automatically, that people are reading from us automatically. And yes, this is facial expression of emotion, it's body language, it's tone, it's pace of speech, it's smiles, it's congruency between what you're saying and how you're saying it. We've all seen that press conference from that celebrity or athlete or politician with that sorry, not sorry apology, right? Like that, yeah. that dude, that dude doesn't mean it. And we all know it. Likewise, if you were to turn on an international channel online or on some, you know, uh, television type service, and someone was giving a press conference in a language that you don't speak, say German, Mandarin, whatever, you would know if they're sharing good news or bad news, or you would know if they were excited about what they were sharing or anxious about what they were sharing or even angry about what they were saying. And so like when we rely on forms of digital, virtual, and online messages and experiences that are devoid of this rich, important information that helps people understand what you're saying, why you're saying it, if they should proceed, how to proceed, et cetera, then we're doing a disservice. When we're using the most emotionally charged version of communication that we can, we're doing ourselves and everyone else a favor. And so the human-centered approach to digital communication does not require video, but it certainly benefits from it. It does. And to your point, and I know you kind of said like the word data and said like maybe not the best connotation around that, but it's so true. I mean, even as individuals one-on-one, -on -one, when we're seeing individual, we can get so much more information, so much more data from that other person when we can see them before. Well, I guess this was before 2016, at least one of the things I used to love to do was watch presidential debates with the sound turned off. I would love watching presidential candidates debate each other with no sound and just watch their body language, their, uh, their facial expressions, everything they did. And I could, I could gather from that who was really winning the crowd over just based on all those pieces of data that weren't the words they were saying. So good. And the, and the other interesting thing that can't be overlooked here is someone might say, wow, you know, Matt's a really interesting dude. He's going like above and beyond to kind of delve into this human facial expression of emotion and nonverbal communication stuff. The fact of the matter is our brains are doing that work all of the time. Now you took it an extra step, conscious, intentional, kind of a, a specific kind of project, if you will, yeah. around it, but fun experiment every, all day, every day. 
we are doing this. This is how we've come to survive and thrive as a species. Those of us who did this very, very poorly probably died out uh, in lineage centuries or millennia ago because you need these skills to survive and thrive. And so people are doing this all the time anyway and acting like or ignoring the fact that they are It's just a disservice to yourself and other people. If you are approaching your life and your work in a way of, I'm going to give in order to get, or maybe I'm just going to give knowing that I'm going to get as a consequence, or I'll get whatever I get. Like if you're coming with the spirit of helping, not selling your true, you know, again, all these highest ideals of true exchange of value and benefit in life and in work, then you should be as clear about that as possible. It can only help you and it can only help the world in general. Like the reason we undertook the writing of another book, which is no small feat. And frankly, it's not financially rewarding on its face. I mean, I guess we could probably draw a web of doors that opened that we didn't know existed as a consequence of having published work that someone we never knew and would never have met online or been directly introduced to found the book at an airport or a friend gave it to them or whatever the case may be. You don't make money doing this, not really, unless you're super lucky. Not directly. (laughs) Right. Unless you get super lucky and it's just a home run and it's a zeitgeist thing and then you can spin it off and do 18 versions of this, you know, (laughs) human-centered communication for dads, human-centered communication for teachers, human-centered communication, like, you know, whatever. Like That's not our aspiration, by the way. But, you know, the aspiration behind it is to change the way that business culture is headed. Every day is an opportunity to be better. Every day is an opportunity to vote for what we think is right. Every day is an opportunity to model the behavior we wish we could see. Some level that's golden rule thinking, which is better than not thinking at all. And then ultimately, to use your platinum rule, that's where we want to go in our businesses as much as possible. And that requires being diligent about taking notes and having a good memory and paying attention to people and actively listening and all these other things that sometimes we feel like we're too busy to do or we can't do profitably or efficiently enough or whatever. One of my goals is to just challenge that thinking and say, really, are you sure? How about try it for a day or a week or a month and see what happens? Anyway, I think we can do better collectively. I don't think it's too idealistic or high-minded. By the way, I'm speaking much more personally, and this isn't a word, but it's going to capture what I want to say best, I think, moralistically. You know, I'm I'm a little bit more soapboxing here than, than we did in the book by far, but you know, since we're in this conversation, since we see things similarly, A, I'm going to, I'm going to blame you for opening that door for me. Um, But I'm going to blame myself for for going all the way through it. Like, I, I just think we can do better. And I think if you already are doing work in the right spirit and you're intentional about it, we can go farther and we're going to bring more people along that way. And I think our life and our work will be better for it. It really will. And people are going to recognize it over time. Most everyone has the filters, has the vision to see when someone's genuine or not, over time at least. And if that's your focus, if that's what you're providing, people are going to see that and they're going to latch onto it. Well, so we talked about how with video communications, there's a lot more data that the recipient is able to get that helps in their their decision-making, helps them realize that, that the communication is really more personal to them versus personalized. At the same time, if I'm the one that's sending a video message, 
Are there any advantages that give me a better understanding if my message is even resonating with the recipient? Uh, Yes, absolutely. There are some hard ones and some softer ones. So first, if you're going to go down this road of video messaging, I do encourage you to use a service, whether it's BombBomb or any number of competitors that have popped up over the last few years. We've been at this for a decade. Any of those services should, A, make it faster and easier to do than any of the DIY solutions. Yes, you can do some of this on your own, but it's going to slow you down. It's not going to be worth it in terms of your time and your energy. You're never going to build a new habit of you know, finding a few spots in your day to send a video instead of three paragraphs of text, that type of thing. And most of these services should be able to tell you which videos are getting played, how often they're getting played, how long people are watching your video. And so there's some immediate data there, right? And so in light of things like in the next version of iOS, Apple is going to allow people in the vast majority, if it's the same thing as ad tracking, the way they use the languages, like, do you want to be tracked or you prefer not to be tracked? In this case, it's going to be, do you want mail protection or do you, or do you not want mail protection? Everyone's going to say, I want mail protection. You're not going to get open data as soon as, you know, sometime this fall, you're not going to get open data on iOS opens. There's some qualifications there, but that's just an example of, you know, some of the stuff is going to go away. So the video play data becomes even more important and valuable. But the other more fun and wonderful thing is that you're going to notice if you think this is an interesting idea, recording a simple casual webcam or smartphone video in place of what would otherwise be typed out text in an email, in a LinkedIn message, in a Slack message, et cetera. One of the things that I always encourage people to, to do to you know, get comfortable with the software, get comfortable getting in and out of the videos and to kind of build a little bit of the habit and to experience where I'll, where I'll land this to answer your question directly is to think of three, four, five people a day and send messages like thank you or good job or congratulations. If you're scrolling your social feed and you see something good or bad, sure, go ahead and like it, go ahead and comment, but then also send them a video message. Say, hey, I just noticed that. Something good happened. I want to give some encouragement and enhance that. Or gosh, I noticed that this sad thing happened and I just want to let you know I'm thinking about you and I'm here if you ever want to talk about it. Send out a few videos like that every day. Easy to do. People you know and who know you. And all you're doing is expressing something simple, but meaningful and sincere. Birthdays, easy one. Work anniversaries, easy one. LinkedIn and Facebook tell you things like this all the time. If that's where you want to go, really easy to do. And you're going to notice the nature of replies, the quantity and the quality of the replies that you get is different. So that's another piece of feedback to, Mm -hmm. to answer your question. And then when you start expanding this and say, hey, you know what? I'm generating some inbound opportunities through my website or through my social or whatever. Instead of just sending that automated sequence after the second email goes out and my system tells me that both of them were opened, I'm going to send a personal video to that person and thank them so much for, you know, however that opportunity was created, whether they filled out a form or did something or whatever, and maybe speak to the two emails that they opened and make yourself available for an appointment let's say, or to ask them a question that would be, you know, help you qualify them or help them qualify themselves or let you know where they came from, why they did that thing in the first place. And you'll notice that whether it's the nature of the reply that you get to that, or whether it's, you know, they're scheduling appointments off that, that the conversation starts in a different, deeper, warmer place, that there's this psychological proximity that you've built. You do not know this person, but because they spent 60 seconds 
or 90 seconds or 43 seconds or two and a half minutes with you through this video that you created, they approach you differently, period. They do. It's a parasocial relationship. They form some type of psychological proximity to you, even in the absence of physical proximity, like you haven't gotten together, but they still feel like they know you. And it's an interesting dynamic. It happens all the time. And the more video that you use, podcasting works the same way, by the way. We all know that person who, you know, we've listened to 10 or 15 of their episodes. We feel a little bit like we know them. We know how they pace their speech. We know some of their favorite turns of phrase. We know how they respond at the end of like a really good take from a guest, you know? Um, And then when we meet them in person, it's like, oh my gosh, like I've spent hours with this person before. I just spent 45 minutes with you yesterday, even though it was just through my earbuds and in my head while I was on a walk. You know, there's some really powerful human things that happen when we make ourselves available in more rich ways that satisfy the needs and wants of human beings. So that's my long way around. There's some hard data that'll tell you that it's happening, that people are watching the video, which by the way, congratulations, you got an email open, but did they even read the email? How would you know? You don't. But if you send a video in that email, you know that they watched 62% of your video. Therefore, they heard X, Y, and Z. And so you know that they know that. And now whether it's a phone conversation or a follow-up video or an email exchange, you know where they are. And so you can empathize with them better and get closer to serving them with platinum treatment. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And going back to one of the things we talked about earlier was everyone wants to feel valued. And I think just being able to see that video message or being able to see that, you know, something that that's a bit more tailored to me, knowing that someone took that time, even if it was just, you know, one or two minutes or less, someone took that time to craft something dedicated directly to me. I already feel valued and I'm much more invested in the experience with them. I'm much more committed to moving forward with them. Yes. And I want to walk it back for folks that are maybe in a higher volume, lower margin business really quickly. Well, this listener may have left us a while ago, potentially, (laughs) but, but because of my offerings, but you know, the best customer experience is an appropriate experience. I don't expect a human being from Amazon to send me a personal video thanking me for my purchase. You know, they've set that expectation. They've managed it. Their Amazon delivers an amazing experience for me. We can talk about some of their other like questionable practices and some of the other things they get negative press for and, you know, make some separate decisions on that. But from a customer experience standpoint, in terms of selection, ordering, returning, if I need to, I don't ever communicate with a human, but they're meeting or exceeding my expectations every step of the way. And that's fine. And so into this video piece, If you are operating in a business where you truly is unscalable to do this across customers, you can record a video once with as much information as you know about that type of person at that stage of relationship and make it feel as relevant as possible. And it's going to go farther than text alone would. And so you can record a video once and use it over and over and over again as appropriate. And so there are in-betweens, you know, we've drawn some of these like efficiency versus effectiveness, scalable versus unscalable. There's a big fat middle here. And there are lots of ways to do the things that we're talking about in a way that will fit 
your profitable, successful business model and still make your customers feel amazing. So I just wanted to give that permission to people to say, I need to adapt and deviate from what these guys are talking about in order for it to work for me. That's absolutely true. So I just wanted to offer that for folks that are somewhere in the middle, like, I can't go all the way with these guys, but I like what they're saying. Like, cool, go as far as you can. That's it. Yeah. Go as far as you can. Figure out what you can do in your business. And it's still going to be more valuable than whatever previous message you were sending. True. Well, Ethan, I want to talk about something else here because we talked about this a couple of weeks ago via email. Your official title at BombBomb is Chief Evangelist. Talk to me about that role and what does that mean? Sure. It's uh it's relatively common in tech in general. For example, Amazon has several evangelists. Microsoft has several evangelists. Some of them are higher level. Some of them are more frontline. And the thing that characterizes my work, I think above all under this title, is evangelizing the problem, not the product. Hmm. Um, you know, bomb bombs come up because you're kind enough to introduce it as something that you've been experimenting with and have referred other people to, but you notice that what we're talking about here are ideas. We're talking about problems. We're talking about the shortcomings of so many digital experiences and messages. And so the natural consequence I would hope for someone that's this deep into our not short conversation is that they might follow up and connect with me on LinkedIn or send me an email or check out our website. And those are some of the consequences of talking about the problem, not the product. If I came on and tried to hard pitch and talked about our service packages and the products and the features, different things that our tool does, and I badmouthed some of our competitors, instead of talking about problems and opportunities that you could solve with BombBomb or with any other service that's approximately equivalent, you know, it's just a more open conversation. The reason that we do that and the reason that you find it in software in general and in technology in general is that there's a level of innovation here. If you were solving a problem that did not have a solution before, or if you're solving a known problem that has solutions, but you're solving it in a new way, you're offering a new solution, then you should be evangelizing at some level. This doesn't mean that you need to give a particular person a title or assign a team to it. Very often in younger companies or smaller companies, the founders or kind of the core group of leaders are naturally doing some evangelizing. But my number one goal and the thing that the company has been kind enough to task me with, with a deep level of trust a high degree of responsibility and privilege on my part is to go out into the world at large and say, did you know that there's a different and better way that you no longer have to entrust your most important and valuable messages to a form of communication that doesn't differentiate you, that doesn't build trust and rapport and doesn't communicate nearly as well as when you look someone in the eye and just talk to them. Did you know that there are ways around this? Video messaging is one way to do it. Here are some different times you might do that. Here are some basic tips to do it successfully. Here are some of the hurdles that you're going to encounter on your journey becoming a regular, consistent video messaging person. At no point, Unless someone invites it, am I going to say, and bomb bomb, here's some features, here's how to do it. Here's how much it costs. Here's the two week free trial. Like it's just because people need to know about the opportunity. And if I can create a set of people and a collective 
community, growing community around the idea that our digital, virtual, and online communication can be more personal and human. And it's better that way. And it's better for us. And it's better for other people. And people start behaving differently. You know, there's trust in me and there's trust within the company. Some of that may come our way. And so I regard anyone making an investment in a formal evangelist role and or anyone who is consciously dedicating time to evangelizing the problem with trust that the product conversation will come up in due time is doing the world a service provided that they're truly innovating. And I feel like we are. It's been a long road. Again, I've been full-time at this company for almost a decade, which is crazy. I honestly thought that this movement would go a lot faster. But, uh, you know, it's one of the reasons as an evangelist, I like to see more competition today than we had three or four or five years ago is because it validates the space. It suggests that it's growing. Some of our competitors are backed with tens of millions of dollars from some of the best brand names in venture capital, which is an encouraging sign to me. It means that there is movement here. I know, and this is, I'm going to echo myself from an earlier response. I know that life and business will be better when more people are a little bit more personal and human in their digital outreach, whether it's just for internal communication with their team members, whether it's with their prospects and their customers, whether it's with their suppliers, vendors, other people in their business ecosystem, whether it's with other stakeholders in their success, whether that's community leaders, government officials, whoever, that we're going to be better when we put our face and our spirit and our voice behind our messages, when we breathe messages of gratitude and appreciation into real life. And it's not exclusively an intellectual exercise where we peck it into a keyboard. Like this is going to be better. And so any movement toward that is positive in my mind. And it's just an absolute privilege to be tasked with that on a daily basis. Yeah. So that makes it sound like that you recognize that the problem and the overall solution is really even bigger than just yourself. And it's similar to what David Burkus refers to as leading a crusade. So you're not necessarily here just to promote bomb bomb services and all the value that comes with that. You're leading a crusade for human-centered communication. Thank you for saying it in that way. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. In this book, by the way, you mentioned Steve, my longtime friend and team member and chief marketing officer here. We hand-selected 11 of our expert friends to be included in this conversation. We go much wider than video email and video messages, uh, which is the essence of Rehumanize Your Business. It was all about video messaging in particular, what, how, why, when, et cetera. And several of the people that we included use competitive services for those who, you know, I'd say of the 11, I'm making the number up, but of the 11, maybe six or seven are consistently sending video messages. Um, And so when that came up in our interviews, it comes up in their chapters. Some of them are doing it with competitive products. A couple of them are on the boards of directors of a direct competitor of ours. Like we don't care. We want people to be more successful with their digital messaging. We want people to be more conscious and intentional. We want them to serve people more effectively. And so we invited people into the conversation that we think can help product aside. We're addressing problems and opportunities in this book that our company doesn't even directly solve. We just want to raise the conversation because it's important. Absolutely. And all the people you interviewed, your competitors, whether they're using your services, somebody else... You're all on the same side in that fight against digital pollution. Yeah. And I love the word crusade. I like the way that you use it. I like that you sourced it here because it just has like, 
a fervor to it. Like I, I hope it comes through for anyone that spent this much amount of time with us <laughs> in this conversation that I care. Like this is important to me. And it's not because it's my job. It's my job because it's important. And, and I've developed a lot of expertise in this area and I can solve a lot of problems with people. I can do a lot of diagnosis and prescription, but above all, I do all that. And I've developed that skill and that expertise because it's important. It's a real problem. It's something that is very present in our lifetime. It's something like this isn't, you know, the, the challenge with digital pollution is that it's a lot like environmental pollution in that it's big. It's hard to get your hands on. There are so many causes and sources and it's just so complex. Some of it is diffuse. It's not even clear where it's coming from. It's not a matter of writing more laws or better forcing the laws that are on the books, although that would help. Like, It's a big problem that's not going to be solved tomorrow. But if we don't talk about it, we're just going to continue to adapt behaviors and be unaware of them and suffer unnecessarily as a species. I mean, at some level, the lack of trust in the the stability in these digital experiences because of all of the pollution at some level tears at our social fabric because the fact of the matter is no matter what the pandemic or the delta variant or the zeta variant one day is going to do <laughs> like no matter what happens we're going to be spending more time in digital virtual and online spaces and we can make those spaces better or worse right like we can go to the park and have it be nice and healthy and vibrant and clean and a nice place to spend time alone or with our families or with our friends or whatever. Or we can go out there and the trees can be half dead and the surface water is polluted and you can't really see the mountains because of all the pollution in the air. Like There is a parallel to our online experience. It, it can be cleaner, better, and more healthy than it is today. And if we don't do it, then who will? And I don't know, again, that sounds a little bit high-minded or idealistic or moralistic, but it really is made at one decision at a time until it becomes a cultural component and it becomes a little bit more normalized that this is how things are, not just how things could, should, would be. Right. And I think it recognizes too that as we continue to move forward in time, the digital pollution may evolve as well. And so if you're only focused just on bomb bomb, if you're only focused on video messaging, then that doesn't necessarily meet where digital pollution may evolve to over time. But if you're focused more on that crusade of human-centered communication, then you can continue to battle digital pollution as it evolves. Well said. It makes me think of the of chapter 16. For folks who haven't written a book, like you have this core idea and you develop it and you work through it and you wrestle with it and you get some feedback on it. But there's still the last chapter. Like, what the heck are we going to do with the last chapter? And How do you land and, the plane. Right, right. And it's it's really funny because I love the way it turned out and it really gets exact. And I'll just tease it. I won't get into it, but you know, it really lands exactly where you just were, which is what happens when a video, a synthetic video, a machine-generated video is just as believable as a truly personal video. What does that mean? You know, I feel like, you know, there's a lot of, and now I'm getting slightly political because it's impossible yeah. to talk about post-truth 
without the geopolitical setting and motivation for the post-truth environment that we're in, where the source becomes what's true or not true, not the actual information. Like we don't actually judge the information and we're judging the source. What happens when the source of the information is is easily faked to seem to be something that it isn't? Thinking of deep fake videos here. So that that's how we kick off the last chapter. And, and I think we resolve it well, but you know, to your point, pollution is everywhere. Pollution is adapting. Unfortunately, unlike environmental pollution, and I'm not letting anyone off the hook here, there is no financial motivation to create environmental pollution. There is only an, uh, a financial motivation to tolerate it. That's to say, pollution by definition is waste. If a company could produce something with zero waste and 100% of the input resulted in 100% of the output, that's the holy grail. Like, I don't know. That's like, what is Six Sigma? That's like 85 Sigma. That's like perfection, right? right? There's zero waste, truly zero waste in this. And so the best we're doing is finding ways to deploy, make that waste less harmful and put it in the right place and turn waste into inputs for other systems and processes, et cetera. So no company wants to produce waste. They're just too cheap or greedy not to tolerate it or to make the process more efficient or to responsibly deal with their waste. On the other hand, there's absolutely a financial motivation to create digital pollution. There is absolutely a financial motivation to fake Mm. like you are someone who you aren't, to offer something that you don't actually have, to mask a link, to point to somewhere that isn't where it says it's going to go, to cheat, swindle, mislead, pilfer, et cetera. And so there's no reason not to think that that's coming to video. So anyway, that's my long way around where we kick off chapter 16. (laughs) There you go. There's always something that you're going to have to be able to step up to the plate and fight. All right. Well, Ethan, last question for you. If you were to create a five song soundtrack for human centered communication, what songs would you include? That is a fantastic question. This isn't a cop out. This is platinum rule thinking. This is, this is human centered thinking. This is who am I with? And where are we and what are we doing? And I think because the context is so important, we all know that there are five perfect songs for this moment or that setting or these people. And so I would just say, it depends. It depends on who I'm with, what we're doing, what's going on around us. You know, there's some times where we want to use music and just like, you know, get hyped out of our own skulls. And there are other times when we want to use music to bring us into a quiet, pensive place. And there are times where we want the music to fade into the background so that we can focus more on each other or on the activity or or the experience more broadly. And the music becomes, you know, third tier player in that situation. And so I'd go human centered on that. I'd go platinum rule. What is best for this context? What is best for these people in this moment? Wow. Wow. Earlier when you said you were going to have a cop out, I was like, all right, I'll listen. We'll see what you say, but no, love it. Yeah. It depends. You know, who are you with? Where are you? What are you doing? Why are you even together? Wow. Love it. That's a fantastic answer. Thank you. Ethan, man, I have, I have learned a lot from you and I've really, really enjoyed hearing your passion around leading this crusade here, but where can people go to learn more from you? 
Sure. Again, my name is Ethan Butte. Last name is spelled B-E-U-T-E. So hit me up on LinkedIn or really on any social network. I'm Ethan Butte, either two words or jammed together on pretty much all the social networks. You can email me directly, Ethan, E-T-H-A-N, at bombbomb.com. If you want to learn about human-centered communication or rehumanize your business, those are both at bombbomb.com slash book. It's just the word bomb twice, B-O-M-B bomb.com slash book. And I would love to have a conversation about any of this with anyone. And I just want to make a point here, Matt, I, I stopped earlier on to, to let you know how much I appreciate your diving into what's important to me and what I'm thinking about and what I'm working on and what I've learned and what I'm trying to teach and all of that. And this podcast episode is just a beautiful microcosm of something that is true in life, which is you get out of it what you put into it. If there's no mistaking on my end that you put a lot into it, and I really appreciate it. And I hope that um, that other folks benefit from your investment in these ideas. And I appreciate you hosting this conversation. It's really fun. I enjoyed it. And I appreciate you. Wow. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate you. And thank you for the kind words and accolades. I know some people are certainly benefiting from the podcast now. I hope more people will benefit from it. One of the things that I love about podcasts is if you let those episodes stay out there, then people can come you know, out years down the line and go back and listen to some of those earlier episodes and still get that value. So yeah, thank, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's been fun. Awesome. All right, Ethan, great seeing you. Great talking to you. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Hey, I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Ethan Butte. So go ahead and check out his book, Human-Centered Communication. It just came out this week. It'll help you and your team have a much better understanding of how to communicate to your customers and to each other in a simple, more human way. And if you want to communicate to people in a way that really helps you brand out from the crowd, then go check out bombbomb.com. At the risk of sounding cliche, and at my age, I just don't care anymore, I can throw in a dad joke and say that bombbomb.com is truly the bomb.com. Goodness gracious. All right, I've started using it, actually, and it's so simple, and it's so engaging, and most recipients even tell me that they enjoy watching my video messages, too, and all the personal information that they're able to capture from my background and environment, the things that they get to learn about me. And if you're enjoying the Simple Brand Podcast, go ahead, hit that subscribe button. It's going to make it a lot simpler for you to get future episodes like the next one featuring Dan Gingas. Hey, I'm continuing on with the customer experience theme with Dan, and this was a super fun conversation for me as well, because we both got to geek out over some of our favorite lessons on what to do and what not to do in developing and managing your customer experience. Dan's an international keynote speaker and a customer experience coach who believes that a remarkable customer experience is your best strategy. He's had a 20-plus year professional career where he's held leadership positions at McDonald's, Discover, and Humana. He also hosts the Experience This Show podcast and the Experience Maker Show. And on top of that, Dan is the author of the new release, The Experience Maker, how to create remarkable experiences that your customers can't wait to share. 
In The Experience Maker, Dan teaches us how to focus on and create a customer experience that will actually retain customers so that we can focus more on them than having to spend all the time, all the money, all the resources on constantly trying to gain new customers. So go ahead and subscribe. You'll automatically get Dan's episode as soon as it's live. Until then, keep it simple. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Simple Brand Podcast. Want to make your listening experience simple and automatically receive each new episode? Visit our website, simplebrandpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. If you're finding value from the Simple Brand Podcast, leave us a rating or review. That helps us get the show to the ears of the people who need it most. Be sure to catch Matt right here next week. Same Matt time, same Matt channel. Until then, keep it simple.